So it's like a Polish, it's written by a Polish writer <laughs> and, and, uh, and they don't do the huge, it's not a fantasy a epic. Polish elf. <laughs> Welcome back to Royals Weekly. I am your host, Marcus Mead, and joining me as always, a man who plays a mean scout team quarterback, my brother, Mike. Hey, everybody. Mike, what is it the key to being an excellent scout team quarterback? Well, for me, I'm not, I'm not good enough to be the varsity scout team quarterback, but I am or the, the JV. scout team. Yeah, uh, I am the uh, freshman scout team quarterback from time to time. Uh, so I think what it takes is grit, tenacity, and a willing to do anything to win. And the ability to sort of recall back in the in the in the early two thousands when you're at your peak athletic performance, just sort of relive those days, right? Like yeah, yeah. Uncle Rico just playing around in the backyard. It also takes a healthy amount of a drinking regiment that to just to keep the body going, you know. So uh, that that's really the key. If I had to say anything, oh, dulls the pain, focuses the brain. There we go. <laughs> dulls the pain, focuses the brain. Body brought to you by Evan Williams. Here we go. Here we go. Yeah. So <laughs> that body is definitely brought to you by Evan Williams, and it shows out there on the football field. Um, but yeah, if you need tips on how to be the world's greatest scout team quarterback, give Mike a call. He will certainly help you out. Uh, beyond that, he's really pretty useless. This week on Royals Weekly, we'll review a winning week from the boys in blue, discuss what it will take for the team's top prospects to fulfill their potential, and preview the final week of games of the 2021 season. It went by so fast, Mike. It, it seems oh. like only yesterday that the Royals were leading the AL Central. You remember that? In, in early, early April, I think, in April. Yeah, yeah April. Uh, it was April. It was way back in April. The Royals were leading the AL Central, and people were like, is this it? Should I buy my playoff tickets? And uh, then May came, and and well... Like so many and things, our, our the dream is straight. over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what can we say? Yeah, it was bad. And so, uh, Mike, I don't know what you have to say about uh, where we're at right now, but one, just one week left. Yeah, and I feel like this is actually kind of the way it always goes. You know, like, oh, the Royals are off to a hot start, or sometimes they just get off to a horrendous start. But it always feels like there's a glimmer of hope in there early, and then blam, gone. You know, you go May or June ends up being just garbage and you're out of it. Yeah, there is always a stretch where you're like, okay, well, well football season starts in a few months. Uh, that's right. And so, yeah, that's we sort of followed a similar pattern, though. Uh, it is rare that April gives us so much to hope for. So that was a fun month. But yeah, uh, yeah we're, we're one week left. Let's try and cherish it. Uh, but beyond that, let's talk about some baseball. In roster news this week, a lot of movement, a lot of moving parts because guys just had to start be shelved for the year and all these sorts of things. Uh, just some like on paper moves where uh, Brad Keller and Wade Davis were both moved to the 60 day IL. I think we knew that Keller wasn't going to pitch again this year. Davis looks like he's not going to pitch again this year and maybe not ever again for the Royals. Uh, not really sure on that front. Mike, you want Wade Davis back for next year? I'm good. You're good. I'm good. I appreciate what the dude did for one of the best stretches of relief pitching in history, but, uh, we we've got better arms in the minors that can do what he does or better. So we're good. Yeah. Well, I think we're good there, but yeah, very appreciative of the great career he's had as a relief pitcher. And then also yeah. what he did for the Royals is really deserving of great note because he was very, very important to those two world series teams and the one that ultimately won it. And so, uh, but it looks like he may have pitched his last uh, pitch for the Royals. Uh, so, you know, I don't know what he'll do from here, probably try and keep playing, but if not, uh, great career. Good job, Wade Davis. As as is tradition, Edward Olivares was shuttled back and forth from Omaha this week. He was recalled to the Royals, 
sent back down and then brought back again all in this last week. So he's made, you know, th- three, three moves this week. And I, I haven't been keeping track. Somebody has, I've seen it on, on Twitter. Somebody keeps track of all these. This has to be some sort of a record for a person sent down and brought back up the most times. It was, it's been crazy for Olivares uh, this week and this year. And unfortunately, it was for uh, unfortunate circumstances that he was recalled again this week. Michael A. Taylor was put on the bereavement list. He was put on the family medical emergency week list last week and this week, the bereavement list. Don't know if they're connected. Don't know. Haven't heard anything about why he's on the bereavement list, but obviously uh, we're uh, our sympathies go out to him for whoever he is bereaving. Um, but uh, along with that, we just saw a lot of other movement. Uh, the one, the only one that of note that's really exciting to me is that Dylan Coleman was brought up this week. Yay. Finally got a chance. We talked about him last week as a great relief prospect guy who throws hundred miles an hour with a pretty wicked slider. He fi- he got his chance like the day after our episode dropped and he's thrown two scoreless innings last week. He looked really good in those, in those uh, outings. Uh, it's good to see them bring up what looks to be like another really, really good relief arm in the mold of Josh Stamont and Scott Barlow and guys who they've really produced uh, excellent relief pitching talent. Yeah. Coleman is super exciting. He gives you another dominant power arm that could be a guy that you pitch in high leverage situations especially when you don't know the the uh, reliability of a guy like Zimmer. It's nice to have at least one more arm that you feel confident in those high-level situations or high-leverage situations with Stalmont and with Barlow. So put those three together, you got a pretty good – I'm not calling it, you know, the – what was it, the HDH uh, of back in the day, but it, it's, it seems pretty good. It seems like it could be pretty good. Yeah, if that pushes Zimmer down and, and he's now your sixth, seventh – arm out of the bullpen you'd rather have that be the case than he be your fourth fifth or fifth sixth arm out of the bullpen and so if if dylan coleman is as ready as he looks uh, imagining him and stamont and barlow and brents and you know moving forward is is a pretty pretty good bullpen to dream on i think tapia's looked really good tapia's looked good too you know throw tapia in there um, and so, although he had a rough week this week, but yeah. um, they asked a lot of him this week. So it's mm-hmm. not surprising that he he may have struggled a little bit, but yeah, those, that, that group looks like it could set up to be a really solid group in 2022. And then you have other guys like Grant Gavin down in AAA and guys who may end up contributing in the bullpen, like Jackson Kowar or something like that. If they don't make the rotation, the, the bullpen could be pretty solid in 2022. And as we know, the Royals really like to utilize it as a weapon. Last week, the Royals went three and two, which brings their overall record to 71 and 84. Uh, We got good performances from the young starting pitching, and that really drove a winning week this week. Mike, how do you feel about uh, the week and and it went and and the young starting pitching? Well, my my boy Carlos Hernandez had a good good bounce back this week. I think we kind of understand what he can be. He's consistent with his command. Uh, He did struggle a little early with the command uh, this week, but got it on track, had a good outing. The really big one was Bubich today. Uh, he pitched seven strong today. And again, it, it every time for this guy is all about command. And, can, and and it really helps when he's mixing up his pitches. But if he can command pitches, he can be a, an effective uh, starter for us. We'll see if that continues to be the case. I just don't know if um, it will or not. But hopefully, if you're doing anything this offseason, and I think we've talked about it, it's can he command, can he improve his command of the fastball uh, so that he can use those off-speed pitches the way he wants to. The winning week brought a few good performances, especially from the young starting pitchers. So I'm going to talk a little bit about John Heasley. He made what was his, what, second or third start this week? 
second. Um, and so it was good to see him go out and have success again. We've had some young pitchers really struggle out of the gate, uh, but he seems to be at least at the very least doing a solid job out of the gate. He went five and a third innings, gave up three hits, two walks and three strikeouts. You can tell they're not letting him like really go deep, deep because they're probably trying to limit. He's thrown a lot of innings this year, probably more than he's ever thrown in his, in his life, definitely more than he's ever thrown in his life. And so, uh, it, but it was good to see him go out get some induce some soft contact defense play well behind him and him to just ha- build some confidence having good performances right out the gates in the major leagues he definitely looks like a guy who at the minimum can be a bullpen piece for the royals moving forward and probably will make a number of starts even next year so i don't know if they're going to give him a, a legit shot to make the rotation out of spring training unless there are some injuries or something but heasley definitely looks like a viable major league pitcher moving forward yeah i think he probably starts in triple a next year assuming everything goes right assuming there's no injuries um, I think he's probably the seventh guy as far as starting rotation goes at this point. So I think they probably start him in AAA so he can start and they don't bring him into a bullpen. That seems already pretty well developed for next year. Uh, I'm going to talk about Chris Bubich. He's probably a guy that gets one of those starting rotation spots next year. He had another big day, seven innings, two hits, one walk. He had six strikeouts, Chris, old Chris Bubich did uh, today, which is a great uh, turn for him. If he can be that solid guy for you, that's a big, big deal because he is a guy that you feel like is a stalwart, is a grinder, is a bulldog, as they call him a lot of times. But if you have him from that class alone, you're talking about three legit dudes almost certainly. So uh, we'd love to have Chris, Chris Bubich continue with that consistency. Yeah, and as we've said in the past, it is just all about consistency of that command because the difference between Chris Bubich being a solid number three and a, at best, fringy bullpen guy, the difference between those two is really just consistent command. It's a tick up in command. If If his command is slightly better than it's been all year, then he's a solid number three. If it's, or I should say, if it's slightly better, he's probably a four or five. If it's a tick better, like a one grade better, uh, then he's a solid number three. If it's not, if it stays what it's been for most of this year, we're talking fringy major leaguer type of guy, but he can do it. We know he can do it. It's a razor's edge for him because if his command isn't good, his stuff isn't, it's not like Hernandez whose stuff is good enough that if his command isn't great, he may still pitch really well that day. He may still get strikeouts. He may not go deep in the game, but he's going to be effective or can be effective. For Bubich, it's like, if you don't have the command, your, their balls are leaving the yard for sure. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I, it's, it's really a razor's edge. And I think he probably knows that. Yeah. It's like looking at Jason Vargas 2.0 because he was yeah. the exact same way. And he had a tick better command and was effective for a long time because of it. If Bubich can get to that level, I think we'll be okay. Uh, some people who need to also get to the next level right now, and they're real struggling. Uh, I, I'm going to talk a little bit about Adalberto Mondesi He's just been uh, driving the struggle bus ever since that hot start coming off the IL. He's three for 16 last week, had only one extra base hit, two walks and six strikeouts. Honestly, the two walks are a little encouraging a to me. For him. <laughs> I know. I was like, oh, two walks. That's not bad. Uh, and so uh, for him, that's a pretty encouraging thing to see. But we're seeing from on to see maybe just a guy who hasn't had consistent at bats this year, a guy who's always going to be a streaky hitter maybe. And so I think that time when we thought, well, he's just reached that next level. We really have to start doubting that now and say, maybe that was just a small sample of a guy who was constantly on and off the IL. Maybe it looked like he was going to be uh, the next level or had taken a step forward offensively. 
And, you know, if he's healthy, if he comes out and has a good spring, you probably put him in your starting uh, infield if he's healthy. But we certainly can't say we need to start planning around this guy. As we've said in the past, we have to be ready to start playing an infield that has that can be really, really good without Adalberto Mondesi. I agree with that completely. Yeah, I'm going to talk about another guy who's, who's struggled really for a long time now. Carlos Santana, one for 18, no extra base hits, four walks, which you assume he's, he's going to get and then five strikeouts. Since basically the All-Star break, he has not been the same guy that he was earlier in the year. And then earlier in the year, to his credit, he was one of the very few bright spots on this offense. But, man, he has been bad for a while now. I don't know that there's really a whole lot of value. And you and I were worried about this before the year started. We were worried that Carlos Santana, with the age progression that he's had, just relying on a guy that old is always tricky. Um, and that's my biggest, one of my biggest fears is that we're going to go into next year and the Royals are going to be banking on Carlos Santana from four years ago. And that's just not going to happen. Yeah. I don't, I, I, you're seeing exactly what people worried about. But the problem is you're also seeing what they worried about right before the trade deadline, when we were like, trade him now because his value is not going up and it has done nothing but plummet. I don't think you can get anything for him at this point. I, I think they really have to have conversations about is it a detriment just to keep him with the team is, is him blocking a guy like Nick Prado or blocking MJ Melendez in some rotation you could have with Perez getting time at first base or Dozier getting time at first base and making room for Bobby Witt or something like that. Is he blocking the next guy who could come up? And because if he is, I think you're ultimately hurting the team by keeping him because he's just really not capable of hitting the way that he used to. That seems very clear to me at this point. Yeah. And I'm going to say the very obvious thing, because he does not play a premium position and he doesn't play even, even if you had like a gold glove level or first baseman, you're not going to keep him around just for his defense. He holds no value other than hitting the baseball, which he is not doing. Yeah. Uh, that's too bad to see. And, but despite that, I think the thing that I'm sort of taking away from last week was it was nice to see some quality baseball and it has really kind of been throughout the second half this year. Uh, the Royals came out and it, it, it's weird to see or back in May with that horrendous May we had, it was really hard to imagine a time when the Royals could be in most of the games that they were playing, right? Like they were getting such terrible starting pitching at that point, they'd be out of the game in the second inning and it'd be like, okay, well, how do you come back from a seven, eight run deficit? Now, even in the games that they're losing, they're in the game. Their starting pitching is keeping them in the game or their relief pitching is helping keep them in the game. And that's really nice to see. You'll see good defense behind them. You'll see it, sometimes they're struggling with some timely hitting and things like that. But you've seen some pretty quality baseball from the Royals this last week and really in the second half. The second half this year, they are 35 and 31. That's pretty good. That's above 500. Uh, you, you spread that out over the course of a long season. You're talking, you know, eight, nine, 10 games over 500. And so that's the kind of thing we're going to see. And they're, and imagine they're doing that with guys like Carlos Santana playing frequently, Ryan O'Hearn playing frequently, you know, people who we just do not expect to be a part of the future and really in 2022, definitely not in 2023. And so it'll be nice to see what this team can look like once, once you round out the lineup with Bobby Wood Jr., Nick Prado, MJ Melendez, who we're going to talk about here during the spotlight segment, but that young pitching really looks like maybe it's starting to take shape, starting to help contribute to some quality baseball. And you also have to give credit to guys like Nicky Lopez, the continued emergence or continued surge of Salvador Perez aging like a fine wine and those sorts of things. <laughs> um, yeah. And you kind of just stole part of my theme for the week. It's the youth movement, baby. You can, you can see these young players and that's the reason why I think anyway, that 
we've had the quality baseball in the second half is that we've gotten that young pitching staff in a place where they're keeping us in games a lot. And even our, our bullpen is pretty young as well. When Davis is out, I mean, you're talking about a bullpen that's pretty young still. So um, the youth movement is here. Uh, it is ready to go. And not only that, you look down at the farm and you see double a winning the championship. You see uh, the quad city river bandits having a good year. So yeah, it's really just a, a, a wonderful thing to see. The youth movement is here. It makes this off season also a little more exciting. Cause I know you remember the off season between 13 and 14 uh, and 12 and 13, when some of those guys were really on the cusp of coming up, it makes those, ex- those times exciting. Like who are we going to get to put with this guy? Or are we going to pick somebody up that blocks this person? It just makes things so much more exciting to, to watch and look for in Royals baseball. So uh, really excited that we uh, will have that podcast going into next year. If you like what you're hearing, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on whatever platform you use. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing helps people find the show and helps us build a larger community. If you leave us a five-star rating and good review, we'll make sure to give you a shout out and read a snippet of your review on the next show. You can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Royals Weekly. If the Royals hope to be anything exciting in 2022, it'll probably rest on the shoulders of the prospects they have on the cusp of major league action or guys like Kyle Isbell and John Heasley, who are still new to the big leagues. Guys like Bobby Witt Jr., Nick Prado, and MJ Melendez will need to fulfill their potential for the Royals to have a chance at making a run in 2022 and beyond. So Mike and I are going to spend the spotlight this week discussing what it will take for these players to have success at the major league level. Mike, where do you want to start? I'd like to start with Bobby baseball. I think that's where everybody wants to start. Yeah. Okay. I die for him. That's where um, the ladies want to start. That's right. <laughs> Line forms behind me, ladies. Or the right? fellows, uh, no judgment. No judgment either way. Uh, Bobby Witt Jr. I think for him to be successful at the major league level, it's going to boil down to plate discipline. I think he has no problem bearing, barreling a baseball. I think he consistently barrels baseballs with the best prospects out there. But major league pitchers are going to challenge him on the edges more than he's ever seen in minor league baseball. So if he can make sure to pick out the pitches that are going to be ones he can drive, I think we're going to get a big year from him. If he doesn't swing at pitches outside the zone and he, I think he can really do a lot with pitches on the edges too, but he's not going to tap into that power swinging at those. And that's the reason they throw him there. Um, But if you can have really good plate discipline, I think we're going to see a good year from Bobby Witt jr. I think it doesn't really matter where you put him on the infield. He's going to play a good defense. And uh, yeah, if he shows plate discipline, he's going to be a superstar. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about that. And that's really, I think the difference you see moving from the minor league to the major leagues is at the, at the major league level, that ball that's on the outside edge isn't going to be there for long, but it's going to look like it is. And so can he remain disciplined enough to let a pitch go? Can he, you know, that, that ball that looks like it's coming outside corner that maybe you're going to hit the other way is actually going to be a couple inches outside when it starts breaking or when it's done breaking. And so it's the exploding breaking balls. It's the fastballs with a ton of movement on them that start on the edge or start on the inside. You don't, you see much. If you, if you look at a lot of the home runs, he's hitting a triple a, he's getting a lot of pitches in his power zone and he's taking advantage of them. He's not going to get as many at the major league level. And so I still think he can hit with a lot of power. I still think he'll do, he'll do great, but he will have to remain disciplined as guys, especially as he starts gaining a reputation, they're going to start being a lot more careful with him at the major league level and with pitchers who are really capable of doing it. And so that's really important. I think that sort of wraps into sort of what I'd like to see from him uh, in terms of what's going to make him successful at the major league. And that's don't try and do too much. 
He is just, he's such a talented player who wants to make big plays on the baseball field. And I think sometimes that gets him in trouble. So you mentioned he's going to be a good defender right now. His defensive numbers in the minor leagues aren't very good because he tries, he gets to so many balls and tries to make plays on so many things that oftentimes he ends up making mistakes. And so I think he needs to sort of sometimes just realize when it's best to eat a ball, when it's best to just, you know, put it in your pocket. Uh, Don't try and do too much both in the field and also at the plate. You're not going to hit a five run home run. You're not going to, you know, it's okay to take a walk. Sometimes it's okay to, you know, put the ball in your pocket. It's okay to just get the one out instead of trying to get the second, you know? And so for him, it's going to have to be learning how to control, learning how to be right on the edge of like excitement and chaos without going over and and just causing uh, havoc or mistakes that are unnecessary at the major league level. Uh, I think another guy we need to talk about, and I'm going to put him ahead of Nick Prado a little bit, just because he hit two home runs today in the minor leagues. Number 40 and 41. 40 and 41. Do you know how many guys have hit more than 40 home runs in minor league season recently? Not many. I I saw saw a tweet from from Royals Farm Report that was like, in the last few years, I can't remember how many, only two prospects have hit more than 40 home runs in minor leagues. One is Chris Bryant and the other is Joey Gallo. And so we're talking about a catcher doing that. That's a catcher hitting more than 40 home runs in a minor league season. Insane. I think we have to have a conversation about how he might be the second best prospect in the Royals organization behind Bobby Witt Jr. And so we're going to talk about him next instead of, say, Nick Prado. We'll get to Nick Prado, though, of course. Um, I think the key for MJ Melendez, as he keeps moving forward, I'm, I'm really hopeful for him because we saw a gigantic drop in his strikeout rate. And as a, it's a result of increased back control and patience to the plate, he has to keep that going. That back control has to be an important part of his game. Even if he's not getting the same kind of power results he gets in the minors right now, if he's not getting those right away in the major leagues, he still needs to keep getting that bat barrel on the bat or barrel on the bat barrel on the ball because the bat control and the controlling of the K rate is going to be a lot more important than the power numbers early on in his major league career. Just put the ball in play, keep finding ways to get the barrel to the ball and the ball will go a long way eventually. But that's going to be the big key. If he can do that, he can keep the strikeout numbers down. He can really find success at the major league level. Yeah. And I will say this. uh, I think if MJ Melendez doesn't have that absolutely awful high A season, he's a top 10 prospect in baseball right now. Oh, I think that's true. Yeah. Because of that just horrendous season for him, he like, he still doesn't register super high on a lot of lists and things like that, but he is, I think he is certainly the second best prospect in the Royal system right now. For me, I think the important thing for him is finding a position. And I think that kind of gets chalked up to the Royals of finding a scheme. I don't think he's a third baseman. I don't. I think you have to find a rotation where he gets to play catcher, he gets to DH, or he gets to play first base. I think he stays in those areas. I know they they played him some of the minors at third. I think he's probably a catcher, a first baseman, or a DH. So find a way to do that. Find a way to get Salvi out from behind the plate a little bit, at least to save him, because you want him to continually hit 40 home runs too. So I think if you do that, you'll be fine. But getting him into a position where he's comfortable, so that he can focus on uh, keep hitting those bombs. Yeah, they've talked about maybe trying him out in left and right field. He's athletic enough to play left or right field, and of course has a cannon for a right arm. And so I would be interested. I'd to like at to see what he looks him. like in left. I would too. I'd like to see what he looks like in left field because you know it. He, like I said, he runs pretty well. I mean, not just well for a catcher. He runs pretty well. And so, in fact, if you put him and Andrew Benintendi in a foot race, I'm not telling you that MJ Melendez wouldn't win. And so, you know, I think 
it'd be interesting to see him try it. Now there's more to playing the outfield than being fast. There's more than playing the outfield than throwing really hard. And so I think you'd have to give him a lot of practice. He'd have to be out there shagging balls and you, maybe you'd only want him to do it once every few weeks or a couple weeks or something like that, but get him into a rotation where he can play left field, where he can play catcher and he can DH sometimes just to get his bat in the lineup and just to save Salvi some, some innings behind the plate. I think that's a really good idea. And I think ultimately finding a way to get him into the lineup will be hugely important for the Royals in 2022 and 2023. Next up, I think it's time to talk about Nick Prado. I know we, we sort of shuffled him behind Melendez and I don't want to no disrespect to Nick Prado. I think it's great to have a great first base prospect like him back in the organization again. I think we need to talk about sort of his strikeout rate, Mike. And I think that's the one thing that maybe worries me a little bit about him. What do you think? Uh, I agree completely. Uh, if you go back to his awful high a year, that was kind of one of the big, probably the biggest problem. He was a 30% strikeout guy. He has brought that down, but I don't know that it's down as far as you probably want it to. The great thing that I think is starting in, well, probably at the alternate site last year, though we didn't get to see any of that, but you were hearing Prado's approach has changed. It's completely different. It's completely different. Comes into spring training and you get to see that the results of that. You can tell his approach is very, very different. He continues that in double A is dominating, continues it in triple A. You know, he, he's, he hasn't kept up quite as high as he was in the first half, but he's still really solid right now. The problem with him is because he plays first base, he's got to be a great hitter. You know, he's got to produce offensively. So the thing that scares me is when he gets here, if that strikeout rate starts to go back up, he becomes almost useless to you. So you really got to do it. I agree. You really have to keep that down to the 20% or lower, in my opinion. Yeah. It's going to be about two, like when he's not striking out, what's the quality of the ball he's putting in play? That's so another good is point, he, yeah. Well, and is he taking walks? So when, when his strikeout rate was a little bit, so he's probably in like the 27, 28 range. 25 for strikeout percentage right now. I haven't looked at the most recent numbers for him, but he can be there. That's okay. Uh, but he's got to walk and he's got to put the ball in play hard when he's not striking out or when he is putting it in play. And so far, that's what he was doing this year. Like when he had his okay. horrific 2019, he was striking out like 30 to 35%. But the real problem was, or the problem, I guess, on top of that was when he put the ball in play, he wasn't hitting it like with a great launch angle and hitting it really hard. And so it looks like that one of the things he really worked on beyond trying to be a little bit more patient is when he swings to put, when he puts the ball in play, it's on a good plane and it's hard. And so if he keeps that up, he'll have a chance. If he can keep the strikeout rate down, he'll have an even better chance of being successful enough offensively to make it happen at the major league level. Yeah, agreed. And maybe, maybe it is just 25%, but you're right. If he, if he's hitting doubles, He's not going to hit as many home runs at Kaufman as he's done this year in the minors, I don't think. But if he's hitting a lot of doubles, he's taking walks, and uh, he's getting the occasional home run. He plays a solid first base, so I think you're okay there. Yeah, I think he's fine. Of course, there's also this other thing. Does it kind of block an MJ Melendez, Salvador Perez first base DH thing? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think Melendez is going to play first base. I think he, I think they're, they're more likely to put him at third or in the outfield than at first base because I just, uh, which is fine. I don't care. I mean, um, I can see the outfield. I don't, I don't, I don't want him at third. I don't, I don't think you'll have a place for him there. You have so many other guys who can play third that, that play I don't know that, third base. <laughs> yeah, that do that do. Um, and so I don't know if they're, they're really going to have a realistic chance of putting him there. I think with Prado, the interesting thing is all you really need him to be is be a two seventy. 350, 360, 450 
460 guy, have an 800 OPS and play really solid first base and you're good. You know, they'll find a way to rotate Melendez and, and Perez in. They'll find a way to get both of those bats in the lineup, but be a consistent first baseman who can hit 800 OPS for us, who can get on base and play good defense. And that's all we're going to be looking for. We're not looking for a world beater at first base because we have a tremendous offensive shortstop because we have a tremendous uh, offensive DH and cat catcher. We have a tremendous offensive catcher. You don't usually get as much offensive production at a shortstop and catcher as we're probably going to get. So we don't have to be, have a masher at first base all the time. And so be good enough, Nick Prado. And that'll be enough for us. The other guy we're going to talk about has already made his major league debut and has lately been performing pretty well. He actually started the year with us and that's Kyle Isbell, Mike's favorite position player. And so Isbell is a guy who is interesting to me because a little bit like Nick Prado, we kind of just need him to be good enough. We, nobody expects him to come out and hit, you know, 310 with a 410 on base and a, you know, 500 slugging. That's not who Kyle Isbell is. We're kind of just hoping for enough offensively, enough defensively, and a well-rounded player, a guy who's going to run the base as well, a guy who's not going to make a ton of mistakes, a guy who's going to give you good at bats. And so, I think one of the keys to that is Isbell understanding what the uh, opposing team is going to be trying to do to him. Fastballs on the inside because he doesn't have a ton of power because he can't get around on a lot of them. Those sorts of things. He has to be able to understand what the pitching staff is going to try and do to him. And then like Nicky Lopez, sort of cleverly play against that. You know, When they're going to try and pitch him inside, find a way to, to get around on the inside of them and hit doubles down the line. When they're going to try and throw you away, dink and dunk singles into left and right, left or into left field. You know, uh, play a, a good game, a consistent game, and he should be okay offensively. I'm fine. I think he's going to be fine in center field. Um, and so I'm not too worried about that. But offensively, he's going to have to play. He's going to have to be mentally a little bit ahead of the game because he's just not a physical uh, marvel like an Alberto Mondesi is. Yeah, I, I think that really the most important thing for him, because I do think he is going to hit, is that he stick in center field. He's got to show that he can be an above average center fielder at Kaufman because they're not going to take average. You're not going to be in the lineup if you're an average center fielder for this Royals team. That's just not what they value out of center field. I also think to add to your point that inside fastball and they like to throw him those breaking balls down and in, he needs to learn how to pull those. He doesn't ever pull those pitches. He tries to do this weird inside out swing. It's just the way his swing is. Yeah, it's just the way his swing is. It's weird. Although I will say I went to that Oakland game two weeks ago and he had got one of those and he did smoke it down the line. It was just foul, but you could see him. He really turned on it and tried to. And he hit that home run. This was going to be a couple weeks ago now, uh, probably that same week. Uh, He did hit that home run out to right field. And so, you know, if he finds a way to turn on those pitches on the inside, which they're trying to do to him then it opens up his game offensively as long as he's also doing other things like laying off pitches outside the strike zone yeah, and, and things like that. Don't get frustrated. Don't get over anxious. You have to be a Nicky Lopez type hitter who's really not wasting the strikes you get and not being undisciplined at the plate. And that's what we saw at the beginning of the year with him. He was he was swinging at everything, which is not something he's done in the past. No, that's he was over anxious. He wanted Kyle to prove Isabel. himself. Yeah. And so if he can, I think if he does that, if he kind of sticks to what he's been, and can improve the, that those swings on those inside pitches. I think he's fine offensively. It's can he play that above average center field that the Royals are going to want? Because if they do that, if he can stick in center, it transforms what you have defensively. You now have really it transforms what you have offensively because you don't have to go get a center fielder that hits barely his weight because he plays a really good center field. You now have Kyle Isbell who has the potential 
to hit pretty well for a center fielder. You know what I'm saying? Um, mm-hmm. And so that's, that's what I'm excited about in that sense. You also have a kid who you have control of for six years who, you know, um, so yeah, I think if he can do that, that's a big thing. Of course, we're counting on all these guys. They're not all going to hit Royals fans. I'm sorry to say it, uh, but, but you hope. This is the end. My only friend, the end. For some reason, I saw the trailer to Apocalypse Now the other day. And so <laughs> this is in my mind right now. Uh, yeah. Just one I more week of baseball. Jim Morrison. Don't, don't associate me with that. Uh, okay, people. then let's hear it. Let's hear this Jim Morrison if you're so damn good at it. Ready? Yeah, yeah. This is the end. That is better. My only friend, the end. Yeah, that is better. I'm not going to lie. Lizard that's King. That's because your voice is deeper. Me and than Sammy mine. Watkins are the Lizard Kings. Me and Sammy <laughs> Watkins, baby. Uh, okay, so yes, this is the end. The last week of Royals games this week. Cherish them, Royals faithful. Cherish them, weekly weirdos. Uh, we'll get two more division series to end the season against the vaunted Cleveland Guardians and Minnesota Twins. Mike, tell us about the Guardians, the same team you told us about last week. <laughs> I tell you about the Guardians every damn week. We're just gonna—I'm just gonna loop in the stuff from last week. Don't even worry about recording this. I'm just gonna loop them right back in. Oh, uh, Lynch has uh, Cal Quantrill again. We saw him last week. Twenty-six-year-old uh, righty, two-point-eight-two ERA. He's having a great year. Oh wait, no wait—that's probably. Ka- I think that's Kowar. That's supposed to be Kowar versus Quantrill. Oh, uh, okay. Lin- Lynch was last week. Well, I'm getting it okay. all confused. Damn it, Mark. You're supposed to write the outline correctly. God. No, sorry, guys. Well, this is a big one because Koar really needs a he needs a good game. He needs to he needs, uh, he needs to end on a high note. On a high note here. I need some quality innings out of Jackson Koar. But uh Quantrill, Quantrell, I never know how to say that name. Sinker baller throws a really good sinker slider. He will throw a four-seamer in the mid-90s as well. But we just saw him last week, so we should know exactly what we're what he's doing. There are no probables for game two or game three yet. Game four is expected to be Shane Bieber. He's really good. If you've never he heard good. of him, uh, he's damn good. And uh, throws a fastball in the mid nineties, killer breaking stuff and locates everything. So game four is going to be a tough one. If we see Shane Bieber, but we have uh Monday's the makeup game. That's why we've got a four gamer against them. And then we got the twins coming to town. Yeah. Twins 69 and 87. Nice. Nice. Um, nice. <laughs> Don't uh, win another game twins. <laughs> don't win another game. Just it doesn't matter if you do. So don't. Um, yeah, rough season for the Twins. Higher expectations, very high expectations for some of some from some people. Injuries and ineffectiveness have play, plagued them all year. They got a couple guys hurt right now in Alex Kirilov and Trevor Larnark, who are two young prospects for them. They're counting on because I love Kirilov. Larnark's good too. But... Yeah, Kirilov looks like he's going to be pretty good. I, the thing the thing about them is I worry about like okay they were they're a team that's kind of built to win now a little bit older of a team. Is this the signal of, a, they got to rebuild at this point, but I don't, I just think the cupboard's fairly bare for them. I, I don't think that they have a ton of guys you're excited about in the prospect uh, pool here. Yeah. And they're, so all their exciting guys are playing major league baseball for them right and, and are hurt <laughs> half the time. And so, yeah. uh, you know, it's, it's tough. It, you know, they don't have enough exciting guys to be like, okay, this could fill out an entire team. And yet they also aren't the type of team that's going to go out and spend big to sort of fill out a lineup. And so you wonder what the rebuild's going to look like from them. It, they, if I'm them, I start getting to it right now because I just don't see the capacity to continue to fill out the team and really make a significant run at a division with the White Sox, with the Tigers team that's getting a lot better, with a Royals team that's getting a lot better. It's going to be really tough to compete in the AL Central if you're going to try and do it with, you know, a couple decent prospects here and there, but not a huge wave of guys who, who are going to sort of be the cornerstone of, of your franchise. So 
Yeah. Uh, twins, we'll see what they have. There are no problems for that series or anything like that, but we'll see how that, how that series shakes out. I will say this, though. They do have some pieces at the major league level that, that you could go out and get good prospects for over this winter, maybe. Oh, for sure. So go go out there and put Sano out there. Put I don't even know if they've got Nelson Cruz signed through next year. but Barrios. Put, Barrios, yeah. Oh, yeah, he'd get, he'd get you something really good. Maybe even you turn and say it's time for Buxton to try somewhere else. You get a lot for him still, even though he's hurt all the time. Maybe. Um, I wouldn't I think do that. something, but if you're, if you're, if you, the cupboard is really bare. That's true. If the cupboard's bare. Him. Yeah, you're right. If the cupboard's bare, go get a huge haul for him right now, because hanging on to him for another three years or however long they have control. I don't think they're going to be back in three years. And so either, yeah. turn it around even quicker. Maybe you're back in three years. If you trade Buxton and get a huge haul for him. And so, but if you hold on to him, I don't think you're coming back in three years. So uh, yeah, if I'm the twins, I start looking to start this rebuild tomorrow. And so we'll see what their uh, energy level is like for the last series <laughs> of the season uh, as they sit on 69 wins, everybody. Just a bit outside. He tried the corner and missed. <laughs> I think we should enter our just a bit outside segment. We're going to keep that bit of audio and we're going to enter should, it with that every, every week. Time. Every, every week. Time. It's our just a bit outside segment for now. If you don't know already, our just a bit outside segment is when we talk about something that is interesting to us outside the world of baseball this week. Mike, what is your just a bit outside for this week? Baby names. Uh, my wife and I are expecting a child in early March. And so we've been trying to come up with a name for this thing. Uh, and yeah, we're, uh, we're kind of in a, we got a place, but the crazy thing for me is like, I've, there's just so many choices and, you know, I'm a teacher. So I've heard a million kid names. They're getting, you know, they're, now nobody wants a name that anybody's ever had before. So like they're, they're getting more uh, unique exotic. all the time. Yeah. Exotic. Yeah. Yes. Which is cool. I like that. But um, yeah, then it puts a lot of pressure on me. Like, what am I going to name my kid? I don't particularly care that my child have a completely unique name. Um, Your name but- is Mike. My name is Mike for crying out loud. Like, yeah, I have the plainest name in the English language. So yeah, I don't know. Uh, but baby names been looking at those a lot. Want to come up with something. And I'm a firm believer that like you can name your kid something and just ruin their life. You yeah. know, they will be a total loser if you name a lot them of pressure on this whole right? name game. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to go with something strong. Uh, something I've never heard had a, one of my students just be a total, you know, you know what with, and then uh, somebody that I, you know, something that I know, like, hey, this is definitely not a felon. Those are my go-to. That's what I, my criteria, if you will. That makes total sense to me. So look out for a pork chop Aloysius Mead any day now. Uh, <laughs> How did you know? You're not supposed to say that yet. Oh. Uh, Morgan, we yeah. can't go with pork chop anymore. <laughs> no more pork chop Aloysius. Back to um, Buck. Back to Buck <laughs> Farmer. Back to Buck, buck Farmer Mead. That's right. Uh yeah, I'm going to talk about something that has nothing to do with baby names because I'm I'm not having a baby ever. Uh, instead, I'm going to watch shows like The Witcher. That's what I'm talking about this week. I rewatched the show The Witcher, and it reminded me how damn good this show is. If you haven't seen it, it's on Netflix. If you're into fantasy stuff, you've probably already seen it because Nerd that's how good ass. it is. Um, I'm into fantasy books yeah, and, you are. and, and mm-hmm. television and 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 playing uh, around with swords in the park. And so. Uh, <laughs> I'm uh, I watched the witcher when it came out when I saw the trailer, I'm like, yay. And so I watched it. Stars Henry Cavill. The cool thing about this show is, and I don't want to give too much away, but it does a bunch of stuff with time. So like at no point do you understand when the story is taking place within the show 
are happening. And then at the end, they sort of reveal to you when those stories were taking place. You have to really pay attention to the different episodes and stuff and the different storylines to under try and understand when are these stories taking place and how do they fit together? And it's a, it's, it's a, it's a fun show. Mike's laughing at me right now. I, <laughs> <The> dumbest <laughs> thing ever. Oh my God. This show sounds impossible to watch. It's, it's amazing. A lot of people have watched it. It's really good. Oh. It's a Netflix show. And the book series is actually a lot of fun to read too. And I'm so sure it's not hard to read at all. It's probably 15,000 pages. No, actually, no, nonsense. it's not. It's, so it's like a Polish, it's written by a Polish writer. <laughs> and and uh, and they don't do the huge, it's not it's a fantasy by a epic. Polish elf. <laughs> <laughs> Mike is like beat red. I wish you could all see him right now. He's like dying. He's like cracking himself up with it. When do you, when do you open at the Apollo, Mike? Oh, uh, God. It's just uh, every... Every TV show and book you tell me to consume has, has this backstory. <laughs> Every single one. I was like, oh, it's the greatest thing that ever happened. See, there are wind warriors, okay? And the wind warriors, they're fighting the cloud monsters. <laughs> it's just what you do. It's like, God, what a nerd ass. Yes, yes, I am a nerd ass. Listeners, what you don't know is Mark is a 14-level magi, okay? <laughs> With an invisibility spell. And a, and, a, and a 10 healing power, power okay so <laughs> golly i sound like i would be that's for sure i sound like i would be um however i don't know what that is in reference to maybe uh uh D or something like that i have no idea in reference um, to your nerd ass so yes i am a nerd ass and i read nerd ass books and watch nerd ass tv shows but one of them is the witcher and you should all watch it because it's really really good other than that, the only other media you should really consume is Royals Weekly every single week, all the time. Every single uh, week. Should, How many? We got one one more week. One more regularly scheduled uh, uh, episode left. And then Mike and I still have to determine how frequently we'll do this in the off season. We may go every other week. We may go once a month. We're not really sure yet. Um, but we will continue to provide content during the off season as stuff happens. Um, until then, be good to each other. And Mike? Go Royals. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.